Welcome to Dairy Stream, brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. Dairy Stream focuses on issues affecting the dairy community and our customers. Hi, I'm your host, Mike Austin. Well, welcome to another edition of Dairy Stream. Today, we continue our focus on COVID-19 and its impact on production agriculture and dairy in particular. We know that many of you still have unanswered questions. So with us today to provide some of those answers from the Department of Agriculture is Undersecretary for Marketing and Regulatory Programs, Greg Ibaugh. Undersecretary, again, thanks for your time. We know during these challenging times, your time is precious, so we appreciate the conversation we're going to have. We want to start out a little bit talking about the USDA and the fact that you're tasked with a very critical mission of keeping our national food supply intact. Undersecretary Ibach, could you kind of help our farmer listeners and those that are also listening to this podcast understand how broad of an undertaking that mission is, especially during a time like this? At USDA, definitely there are a lot of different uh, agencies within USDA that are charged with their own unique set of tasks during uh, the coronavirus outbreak. My mission area contains the Animal Plant Health Inspection Service and the Ag Marketing Service. And so definitely as we look at the challenges that are being created in the animal industry, not only in the dairy industry, but obviously with the packing plant slowdowns, the beef and pork industry have stress as well. And so we're working very closely to try to figure out how to keep uh, those processing plants, so whether they be for live animals or for milk, open and operating. We're working with CDC and other agencies to do that. And then we're also looking at our regulatory programs and seeing if there are options to provide regulatory relief to be able to have the products make it from the dairy farm to the consumer or to address the supply chain adjustments that need to be made when we saw the restaurant and food service industry collapse to be able to switch those uh, milk from the farm to be processed into jugs of milk that consumers were looking for or other retail uh, oriented products. Now, obviously, we've never gone through something like this before, so everybody has their ideas, everybody has their input that they'd like to share. Can you break down how the USDA receives and considers input from farmers and their respective organizations, and how much input you know have you received over the past few months? So we've received a lot of input. You know, I speak uh, many times a week with different dairy associations, dairy industry groups, and even producers themselves that call in and reach out or are part of the leadership of those industry organizations. And so uh, we're very dependent on input and people with boots on the ground seeing what's happening in the industry to provide us that perspective so we can uh, use that information in our decision-making process. We're listening to producers and the dairy industry has been very forthright about reaching out to us. And we have had lots of conversations there that have helped us not only craft programs and adjustments to our regulations, but as we look at the package that is moving forward, the dairy is gonna be part of an assistance program that Congress authorized and provided funding to USDA to roll out. 
Spending time with us today is Undersecretary Greg Ibaugh. We are talking here on Dairy Stream about what is going on with the pandemic and the response from the USDA. And I think everyone is aware now of the CARES Act and that legislation is providing some support for agriculture through the USDA. It was passed on March 27th. And the main components of the coronavirus food assistance program seem to be direct financial assistance for farmers and food purchases. Uh, the agency certainly was quick to implement the food purchase component. In your opinion, Greg, why are food purchases such an important part of this Corona food assistance program? Two reasons. First of all, they alleviate supply backups when we purchase food and move them into feeding programs across America. With the loss of school lunch business and all the products that uh, quit going to restaurants as people started sheltering at home, we needed to work to uh, supply food to uh, those people to replace uh, for school children the meals they were getting at, at school. And uh, dairy was an important consideration in that. We also, as people sheltered at home and businesses closed down, people lost income. And so the food banks were requesting and we realized they were going to need large amounts of food. So we moved quickly to start the process of purchasing milk products as, as well as other food products to go into food banks. Dairy is part of a Section 32 purchase that we just announced. We also are working on the, the final stages of implementing a food box program that dairy has its own $100 million a month allotment in that program that we will be buying all kinds of dairy products to distribute to consumers across the United States. And dairy will also be part of direct payments that uh, we are in the final stages of announcing how those, that direct payment program will work. Well, being a board member of a food bank here in Green Bay, Wisconsin, I appreciate your efforts and what you've done, and it has made a difference, as we've certainly seen a lot more people than we've seen in the past. Just to get a little bit more specific on this, as far as the food purchase program, how specifically, I mean, does it work? And you talked a little bit about it already, but besides, you know, dairy, what other purchases have been made? So we are actually operating using several different authorities and programs within the department. You know, one of them is the Section 32 program that is designed to take excess supply off the marketplace when there are disruptions in the marketplace. And so we have bought fluid milk and cheese through uh, that program here recently and over the last few months to be able to provide to food banks. We also had uh, money that was provided in the family's first package that Congress passed that allowed us to develop a, a program that is actually the food box program that allows us to access money from the treasury to make these purchases. And we have very uh, few restrictions or guidelines around them. So we're able to purchase full fat milk, whole milk. We're able to purchase cheese and butter and sour cream and all kinds of products that will be able to be distributed to consumers. And that is unique also in that it's not just, we're not just utilizing food banks in this case, but we are also utilizing other nonprofits in communities. 
So religious organizations, community-based organizations are going to be able to be eligible to receive and distribute food from, from this. And we're going to use the current infrastructure that already exists. We have food distribution systems that have lost business with restaurants and food service being closed down that have excess capacity. And we are right now analyzing the, this week those proposals from those food distributors to be able to have a budget allotment to them that they can use to purchase dairy for a one food box program, fresh meat for another food box program, and fresh produce, fruits and vegetables in a third program. We will be purchasing $300 million of food a month in those three programs that will be distributed, and we hope to run that program until... Um, People are back to work and the need for additional food assistance goes away. Well, thank you for a very thorough answer to that. I appreciate it. Today's guest is Undersecretary Greg Ibach. We're talking about COVID-19 and the USDA's involvement in providing assistance uh, to consumers and to the agricultural sector. And I know the question that had the big asterisk on it was uh, turning to what is kind of a hot topic and what a lot of farmers have been listening for is you know, some details, but not all of the details have been released on the financial assistance program for farmers. I don't know if you can give us a specific date, because you can give us a timeline of when should farmers expect to see some final program details? Well, I think the secretary and undersecretary Northey, because uh, this program will be, or for dairy, will be mainly run through the local farm service agency offices. And they have said publicly that uh, they hope by the end of May, farmers will be able to start signing up. So the details will be out as to what the aspects of the program that relate to dairy are, and then what type of materials or what the process is for dairy farmers to sign up prior to when that begins. And let's talk a little bit maybe about the process, because obviously when you're under stress and you have uh, financial concerns and there's been a lot of questions that people have not gotten answers for immediately, there's a lot of challenges to pop up. So can you give us some insights on the challenges that the USDA has confronted when you talk about creating a financial assistance program? There definitely was lots of help and input from the dairy industry about what the damage that they had felt, the industry had felt as a result of the coronavirus outbreak. And so that helped inform us of what type of assistance might be appropriate. And then we also wanted to match the direct payments with what we were doing in the purchasing program. Obviously, uh, if we could uh, find uses and consumer products for the dairy products that farmers were producing, that was our, our, our big goal. But we also wanted to provide some assistance to them. And as we designed the signups, whether it be in dairy or all across the different groups that are going to be beneficiaries of uh, the program that USDA is rolling out, we wanted to make sure that they were easy to sign up for, easy to understand, and didn't require producers to spend a lot of time at the local FSA office. As you know, many of those offices have very minimal staffs. Uh, most of them are closed right now, but the staff that is going in is trying to do all their work online or via the telephone. And so obviously designing a simple program was very important to the success of of rolling out the program. 
Another topic that's getting a lot of conversation throughout the rural areas of our nation are payment limitations and certainly has become a hot topic after the USDA stated assistance will be subject to commodity entity caps. Uh, could you describe the reason behind the caps and where the USDA is at in reevaluating those? So Congress has been very directive to USDA with payment limitations and just gross income caps in many programs across uh, USDA. And so initially, we looked at honoring those caps. In fact, some members of Congress had specifically stated publicly that they had hoped that USDA would follow their payment limitation recommendations from other programs. As we have heard from producers and organizations that the caps might be problematic, we have have taken that information to heart and we uh, are considering adjustments that might provide additional uh, ability for producers to access more payments. But uh, that will be part of the rule that is being worked on if we're able to accomplish that, uh, uh, that goal. You're listening to Dairy Stream. Our guest today is USDA Undersecretary Greg Eibach. We certainly appreciate his candor and insights. And we have one more question before we take our first commercial break. And that is, how does the financial system program really relate to other risk management programs that are available to dairy farmers? And that's a great question because, you know, uh, Congress has provided USDA with the opportunity to design many different programs for dairy producers to participate in. And, you know, there are uh, insurance type products that are out there that dairy farmers can participate in. And so I think that what we've seen here is that it is very important for producers to make themselves eligible for as many different programs as they can, uh, you know, during those sign-up periods so that when something unexpected crops up, they can be the best beneficiaries of those those products. You know, the insurance company doesn't sell you insurance after you, the, your house has burnt down. You, as a homeowner, plan ahead for that. And so with those programs, a lot of those programs that USDA rolls out, most producers hope they never need to use them. But this is an instance that, you know, we had a unexpected market event that makes some of those programs much more valuable to producers. Spending time with us today is Undersecretary Greg Ibaugh. When we return, the USDA steps to keep the food chain moving. More details coming up on Dairy Stream. And we'll be right back with our Dairy Stream podcast after we hear from our sponsor. Dairy farming is fundamentally changing, and dairy farmers are looking for progressive leadership, new approaches, and a louder voice. Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative makes that commitment. With members on all sizes of dairy farms throughout the Midwest, Edge amplifies dairy farmers' voices, the voice of milk, in Congress, with customers, and in our communities. Driven by passion and innovation, Edge delivers maximum value so our members succeed. Learn how we can work on behalf of farmers at voiceofmilk.com. Well, this is Dairy Stream, where we continue with our special coverage of COVID-19 and its impact on the agricultural community, trying to get some more answers for those of you in production agriculture, but for those just from the general public have a better understanding of the role the USDA is playing. Spending time with us today is Undersecretary Greg Ibaugh. 
Greg, we focused a lot on the coronavirus food assistance program, but you also described earlier how the USDA has been doing much more to keep our food supply chain up and running. From your perspective, why has providing regulatory flexibility been a large focus of the USDA's efforts? Well, as it pertains to the dairy industry specifically, when states started announcing stay-at-home measures that uh, kept people from being able to close restaurants and uh, schools, that meant we lost food service business and restaurant business for the dairy industry. That meant that a lot of the cheeseburgers that were being purchased at fast food restaurants quit being necessary. And so it changed the makeup of how the processing industry was delivering products. Well, we also know that uh, about 60% of all food consumed is consumed away from home. So that also changed the way we needed to deliver dairy products rather than being destined for food service or restaurants, we needed to configure those dairy products to be able to be delivered to retail grocery stores. And so uh, the milk marketing orders, we needed to provide some flex regulatory flexibility within those orders to allow milk to flow to the right types of processing. And we saw demand for bottled milk, gallons, half gallons of milk at grocery stores go up very dramatically. And so we needed to rechannel farmer milk to those processing centers that were addressing that retail need. And so we were able to work with the industry to provide that relief to be able to focus and retool the industry the way it uh, demand was saying supply. From your perspective, what is important for farmers to know about the USDA's efforts to combat this national health emergency? Well, I think that we're obviously not CDC and we're so we're not uh, on the front line of trying to develop a cure but what we are on the front line of is trying to manage the impacts that the disease and the close down of our economy is having on farmers and ranchers and so that means that we're trying to keep processing facilities open as local health departments are trying to decide how they manage employees that have uh, positives within some of those processing plants and how they try to address President Trump's declaration that food processing is a critical infrastructure. And so we have worked a lot with governors. We've worked a lot with local health departments to help them understand how they can implement personal protective equipment, how they can put additional shielding around employees, how they can, when appropriate, provide uh, extra space between employees if they can't put shields up between to be able to provide some of that protection to give confidence to employees to show up to work, as well as to make local health departments uh, feel comfortable with those plants operating. So we have seen now is based on what how the industry, the processing, food processing industry has responded. Many epidemiologists feel that the the chance of community spread has virtually been eliminated within those processing plants. And so in many cases, I uh, kind of tongue in cheek like to say, 
their the food processing employees are safer at work perhaps than they are in their communities, especially if those communities aren't mandating wearing masks to go shopping or if they, people are still congregating in groups larger than, than 10 people. Spending time with us today is Undersecretary Greg Ibaugh. I know that you've gotten a lot of input and everybody continues to ask, you know, what's next? What else can we expect? Well, after the coronavirus food assistance program, can you kind of give us maybe some of the things you're discussing or what type of things farmers might be seeing when it comes to the areas of assistance programs or future funding? Well, I think we're going to see the coronavirus have long-term impact on the restaurant and food service industry. So I think that the added demand at uh, retail grocery stores is going to continue to be there. I think that we're going to also see continued higher unemployment rate and that means that people will want to access food banks and food assistance programs. So I think that USDA needs to be ready to provide additional assistance through those outlets as well for an extended period of time. But I also think people are ready to get back to work. They're ready to enjoy summer activities. They're ready to be able to go to parks and to restaurants. And if you're you're a healthy individual, you, know, you may be willing to take do those activities with less worry about your personal health. Obviously, those individuals that have underlying health conditions that are older need to take extra precautions. And I'm sure as we start seeing states loosen up some of their restrictions, we're going to see classes of people that still adhere very closely to some of the restrictions that are in place today, just as we see people start to normalize their lifestyles. Well, even though we are moving forward, I'm sure Congress is going to consider or possibly even work on additional relief legislation. If they do so, how will USDA be engaged to help craft another bill? We definitely provide technical assistance to Congress as they ask us questions about different problems that their constituents are identifying to them or challenges or proposals for aid packages. We we work with Congress to tell them whether or not uh, or the vision we have for how we can roll out those programs. And so that's definitely part of our role as we we will work together with Congress. USDA always rolls out what Congress passes. And so as Congress does provide additional aid packages, we will look at the legislation and craft uh, rules and regulations and programs to be able to match up with the statute. You're listening to Dairy Stream. And as we wrap up our conversation, I have two final questions. One is, first of all, how can farmers keep up with, you know, the subject we've been talking about and everything else going on in D.C.? I mean, are there certain channels that go through, websites? What's your recommendation? Well, of course, you know, this program is a great opportunity for producers to uh, get information. Dairy industry organizations provide direct uh, information for dairy producers. And the USDA has websites, uh, has AMS under the dairy program, has information available for producers as we roll out the CARES Act and the assistance program. The Farm Service Agency will have information available to 
to producers. We will have question and answer formats for producers to see, look for their questions and find as well. And so those are all great opportunities for uh, producers to, to be informed. And in closing our conversation, Greg, I know last time I talked to you a couple of years ago and I was still actively farm broadcasting, uh, I know you're a big Nebraska fan, so I know you have to be optimistic. So <laughs> we try to close this note uh, on optimism. Is there anything you can close our conversation with for our farmers that are listening that they should be optimistic about? Farmers are the eternal optimists. Yeah, anybody that's putting corn or soybean seeds in the ground right now is obviously an, an optimist uh, when you look at the current prices. But I, I do think, and you know, I, as you know, I'm a farmer myself. I happen mm-hmm. to be uh, sheltering at home back in Nebraska right now and doing my job over video conference and, and Zoom and all the different uh, options that are available uh, from the ranch here. And, uh, but, you know, I think that uh, consumers are going to develop a new appreciation for uh, their food. And the fact that we are facing shortages in grocery stores, I think, is going to help consumers realize that it just doesn't magically show up on the shelves, that there is a process to go through. There's a production cycle. There's a, a food system that requires not only farmers and ranchers, but the processing industry and a distribution industry to be able to get food to their shelves. And hopefully that is, is positive into the future. I think we're also going to see increases and we've consi- continued to see even in the face of of some of the downturn of world economies that many countries are still looking to the U.S. for food. And I think as we've reached trade agreements with China and uh, Japan and South Korea, and now we're working with the United Kingdom and Europe to try to get better trade agreements in place. And of course, dairy had some great gains within the NAFTA agreement because we made Canada back away from one of their marketing schemes that hurt U.S. dairy farmers. And so I think there there's always re- reason to be optimistic. And as dark as these days are with prices and the challenges we face, there can't be anything but hope that things are going to get better, and we know they will. Insights, candor, and yes, optimism, all provided by U.S. Department of Agriculture Undersecretary for Marketing and Regulatory Programs, that is Greg Ibach. We thank him again for his time, and again, we thank you as well. We hope as all of these purposes are for this podcast to better educate you, hopefully take a little stress off, and also give you channels to try to get more information on where we're heading as we continue to battle COVID-19. Thank you again for listening. Stay safe, and thank you for what you do each and every day for American consumers. The Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative would like to thank you for listening to Dairy Stream. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please subscribe and rate Dairy Stream. We value your feedback. And if there's something you'd like to hear, just email us, podcast at dairyforward.com.